0: Hello there and welcome to some more conversations about rail. I am delighted this morning to introduce Nick Hughes, who is the sales director for UK and Ireland for Hitachi Rail. Uh, Nick and I have known each other probably for more years than either of us care to remember, having both met at Ulster Transport back in the late 90s, just past privatisation. What we're going to have a chat about today is rolling stock, both the current state of rolling stock in the UK and what the future might hold for rolling stock as we go through quite a significant period of transition, not not just in terms of how it's governed, but but also from an innovation point of view when we look at sustainability. But before we do, Nick, why don't you give us a little bit of background as to your journey through the rail industry?
1: Thank you, Michelle, and uh, good to see you again. Um, so, I, yeah, I'm Nick Hughes, um, sales director for Itachi Rail, UK and Ireland. Um, been in the industry since 96, which, again, if I think back, I joined Alstom Transport, as you say, in the September of that year. Yeah. And they just awarded the first rail passenger franchise to stagecoach on Southwest Railways. Um cool. And they then followed a a massive program of of, of, of franchising, uh, which brought about quite a lot of investment Mm. of new rolling stock. Mm. Um, I think those that are familiar with the industry milestones, there'd been a bit of a hiatus in rolling stock orders. And I think you might remember the late Adrian Shooter holding a um, a banner up of 1,000 and something days to signify the first order. Chilton mm. um, as part of the privatised Zero. So yeah, been in the industry a long time. Um, worked around different disciplines, so rolling stock and maintenance, always very closely related, but also worked in track um, mm-hmm. and more latterly, plant hire and signaling as mm-hmm. well, where I was with STS yeah. and sold to STS for eight years um, in the mid to late noughties through to moving across to Itachi. Um, I've been with Itachi since 2015. So I joined june 2015 company at that time was about 190 people Mm -hmm. Um, we're now 2600 in the uk wow we've built a substantial business in the uk market it's one of our core domestic markets um and you know we've established ourselves as one of the main players in the market Mm -hmm. following the success of the 395 contract which you know the javelin trains that were Made famous as part of the Olympics, London Olympics in 2012, but then the IP contract, which I mm-hmm. think is still one of the biggest ever awarded, um, that was a completely different financing structure uh, that was introduced into the market, SPV structure, mm-hmm. um, about 15 different banks. It, it actually put its own equity in, um, but that really launched the company into the UK market Absolutely. on Great Western and East Coast Main Line, and mm-hmm. it allowed us to export the product concept of the bullet train mm-hmm. from Japan yeah. um, into the UK market. Um, and we've had some good successes, I think, mm-hmm. since we've sold um, you know, quite a lot of those trains into the intercity market. Um, and just over a year ago, we signed the HS2 contract uh, for the new yeah. rolling stock, which is probably a career-high point for me personally. I can imagine. Um, yeah. And we signed that at the time, we signed that with Alstom back at the end of 2021 they're our joint venture partner um and you know we're in the design stages now of that of of that project Mm. um i think that's kind of the rolling stock part done quite a lot in the signaling market as well um i was chairman of sts in the uk from 20 late 2012 to 2015 before i moved across to itachi uh, and that brought me into contact with Network Rail as a client and mm-hmm. some very interesting signalling projects that we were looking at um, at the time. Um, so, yeah, quite a broad spectrum of kind of experience. Um, but my heart is always in the rolling stock. Right? Does it
0: feel like you've come full circle in light of the fact that you've done the joint venture with Alstom for yeah. HST? 2 it
1: feels like I've done a few circles, Michelle, actually, <laughs> not just one. Um, but this one, um, I mean, you, you remember the time that we had at Alston. We had a super successful period. Mm. Um, we signed, I think, six contracts, and then we had to deliver them. We got into difficulty yeah. with the factory and the product being accepted. Um, not seeing that with Itachi, um, mm-hmm. but there again, the delivery schedules. In those days, we used to bid from contract award to, to first training service, 15 months, 18 months. Yeah. Nobody knew properly then about safety case and vehicle acceptance process absolutely Um, not now typically we will offer plus 30 36 months from order placement to first training service so very different market markets matured and i think a recognition that you need to test trains as well before they go into passenger service Um, we're very big on that Uh, we do test and people often say to us but you've got 12 months in your schedule for testing. And we said, well, we need that. Mm. Um, good example, recent delivery on LUMO um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: with First Group, um, which was our last delivery out, out of the new uh, naycliff uh, factory in the Northeast, East, um, built through COVID, delivered on time. And picking up on this point of reliability and out-the-box reliability, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not just reliability per se. Um, when we went through the fault, free running regime, which you do now as part of the vehicle acceptance process, you have yeah. to demonstrate that the that, that the units are at a certain level mm-hmm. of reliability day one. We had a fault-free regime of about 5,000 miles that Goodness. you had to fulfill without a failure before the client would accept the trains. Mm-hmm. On the fleet, five trains, relatively small fleet, open access, we didn't have a single reset on fault-free. Goodness me. Trains go into service. Um, and we didn't have a service affecting failure for five months
0: Goodness on nice. the fleet.
1: So you couldn't measure the reliability mm. because we were at infinity. Um, I think Roger Ford and the modern railways team had some difficulty putting us in these <laughs> empty <and> watch tables <laughs> that they publish because the reliability was so sure. Um So, I mean, that's, yeah, it's actually different to Alstom. Yeah. I personally learned a lot of lessons as well along the way, and testing, more certainly testing the vehicles and making sure that they're ready for passengers, is a key part of our strategy. I
0: think, I think generally, I mean, when you know, when we were first doing all those orders out of Washwood Heath in Birmingham for Alstom, it was just just past privatisation, wasn't it? You know, new customers, new clients, yeah. new way of delivering. As you say, the safety case side of things was oh. completely unknown. We've yes. got the battle scars for that oh. one. And, and I think it kind of got to the point, as you said, because the delivery times were so short, because people were so desperate to get the trains in, yeah. that you were almost trying to sort the reliability and the performance out on the job, which yeah. which we just can't do yeah. anymore. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I travelled on a 458 over the weekend. Yeah. right? Now, that was one of my... Well, that was one of ours, one, wasn't one it? One of ours, um, <laughs> both in, in terms of the, the supply, but also the renegotiation. Yeah. Um, now, that train's subsequently been converted into a five-car. Right. Still in service today, Southwest Railways. Now, I, I was very pleased when the train pulled into the platform. I saw 458, and that that train, that contract was signed, what, 97? Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, there's certainly plus 24, 25 years old yeah. now. I yeah. um, still look good.
0: Hmm. Well, that's nice to know, because they caused us both many, many sleepless nights <laughs> at the yeah. time. Actually, that segues quite nicely into the next point that I wanted to speak yeah. about, which was about the rolling stock that we've got in the market yeah. now. The ORR's report last October said that the, the average age of the rolling stock is 16, no, 16.9 years. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. The, there's some anomalies there because you've got TFW and Mersey who've both got really quite an old fleet, but they've got new trains coming in. But even so, I would imagine that would surprise people not in the industry to know how old some of the fleets are yeah. It's yeah. quite easy to disguise them sometimes with a lick of paint and some new seats and this, that and the other. But it's, yeah. it's not the same as a fleet of cars, for example, no. you know, no.
1: there no, is a long life to these yeah, vehicles. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's a few points. I think you would target somewhere between 13 and 14. Hmm. I think that would be a kind of ideal target in, in terms of average age. But I think if you look at the UK fleet going back to 96, mm-hmm. um, we had around 12,000 cars. You've now, got 16,000. Mm-hmm. So, there's the passenger growth story yeah. on the back of privatization. Where I think you know, we'd often go into the department, um, and senior officials would get these charts out with six seven percent passenger growth every year. Mm. Um, it was almost like a 45 degree slope, yeah. and we were the envy of the other European rail markets because of that. Yeah. Um, the operators were very innovative in terms of ticket pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we saw the creation then of off-peak demand um, and a slightly different approach you know, to pricing, which I mm-hmm. think you know, some of the operators brought in. Um, I think going back to rolling stock, um, we've replaced 7,000 vehicles since the start of CP5, mm-hmm. um, which is a good percentage yeah. of, of, the, of the total fleet. Um, We ourselves got our first share of that as as Itachi. Mm -hmm. Um, They're all in stock and uh, the maintenance. Um, I think if you look at, I think when we've built the West Coast and the East Midlands trains, Mm -hmm. um, we'll be operating trains across 10 lines in the UK. So again, you know, we've gone from 395 on London South East. In a year or so's time when the West Coast trains and East Midlands come Mm -hmm. in, we'll have 10 lines. I think that represents, if you look at the numbers, two hundred eighty-six trains per day now yeah. uh, are, 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 are under our, our stewardship as the maintainer. And when all the trains are in, it'll be three hundred and thirty-four trains, which I think broadly is just under twenty percent of the market yeah. in the UK. Yeah. When the HS2 trains come in, that figure will be just under 400, mm-hmm. 400 trains. So. I think you know we've we've done extremely well in the new rolling stock market. Um, I think it, there was a very clear plan of rolling stock investment mm-hmm. linked to refranchising. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd see that um, again when you visited the department officials; they would have this very clear plan. They would tell you where they were. You could see the investment that was linked to every franchise. Now we've lost that a little bit now, obviously because of COVID. Um, the operators are under different contracts the more short term and we've lost sight of that medium to long term investment profile.
0: Um, We we have and I think it's worth mentioning for those people who might be listening to this hopefully who Aren't necessarily involved in rail mm-hmm. is that that you know orders for for trains don't just come from somebody in a train operating company going I'm going to buy some new trains today there is quite a complex process yeah. that needs to be gone through and it is essentially the department's decision as to whether some new trains can be ordered or not um, and, and and you know we have had the impact of COVID and that's affected passenger numbers yeah. we've we've also now got the challenge that we're moving you know between the department and great british railways at some point in in the coming future and so it's a little uncertain at the moment where those orders are are coming from but before we get to the order point so we've got a fleet across the network which is about 17 years old on average what are some of the challenges that you see with that at the moment i mean particularly i mean we've we've kind of we've got three customers haven't we we've got the the fair paying customer you know you and I travel by train yeah. um, you've got the talks, the train operating companies they're a customer and then you've got the department as well
1: yeah yeah I think there's a couple of points um, there's a lot more cost pressure now in the industry um, we've talked about passenger volumes being down um, although they are increasing mm-hmm. they are still below pre-covid yeah. um, if you look there's a couple of good stats here, actually, Michelle. 97% of people mm-hmm. that use the railways before COVID are now using the railways again. Right. So I think that okay. is very good.
0: Yeah, that's a good um, stat.
1: that's a stat uh, that the Network Rail guys use. So really good percentage. The problem that we've got is the yield
0: mm-hmm.
1: on the ticket price. So those people that are using the railways are now not buying season tickets because they're not coming into the office you know, more than... Mm-hmm. three days a week so season ticket sales are down and in particular in london southeast mm-hmm. which was always the main funding source right across the railway yeah um yeah, so I, I think one of the challenges there is 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 to try and improve that yield mm-hmm. um that's not my job but i think as an industry we, we yeah. should be looking at that a lot more pressure on cost we're mm-hmm. seeing that on our maintenance contracts now some questions about improving efficiencies and how we're would we do that as a maintainer? So I think that's one point. Um, I think the other point is Brexit. Mm -hmm. Um, Brexit, I mean, we took a decision some time ago to localise our supply chain and to make sure that we were maximising the amount of contract value that we spent in the UK. And I think another good start here is we spent 2.2 billion with suppliers over the last five or six years mm-hmm. um within that's important uh, mm-hmm. because it sustains them um and i think quite a good percentage of that are within a 50 mile uh radius of the factory so we've tried to right. get that um, supply chain support on the doorstep that uk content which again that... really important mm-hmm. um and you can see the northeast which we think there's a great talent pool of people in the northeast mm-hmm. you know? I and mean, that's why we decided to locate the factory there but you've got that natural engineering and yeah. manufacturing base that we've got up there um it's the birthplace the railways as well which i think helped it in the decision but Teesport port from mm. a, a logistic perspective um, again is within kind of touching distance of the factory so i think the supply chain element never lost on us mm. um, very collaborative as an organization mm-hmm. it's actually um, and always uh, thinks very closely about supply chain considerations
0: I think that's that's a real challenge I mean it's funny you mentioned about brexit yeah. because of covid we we almost forgot a little bit about brexit but it but it did happen it did. and you know there's there's so many things I mean I've done quite a few podcasts about force majeure and you know I've never spent so much time looking at force majeure as I have done in, in the past two three years but But I think what's quite interesting out of that is that we're not talking about just one or two events that are happening at the moment. We had COVID, we had Brexit, you know, global economic crisis. Was that as a consequence of COVID? Was that as a consequence of Brexit? Raw material shortages, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and so many other things that are going on. And actually, when we go back to that, that kind of indication as to what's coming down the track pardon the pun that's something that i know the supply chain are really struggling with yeah. at, at the moment because you guys haven't got the visibility as to where the next order is coming from which yeah. means that that the smaller guys you know particularly the smes yeah. really don't know where it's no, coming no. from
1: it's a good point we did an event in the factory for supply chain um final quarter last year mm. we were asked the question about pipeline mm. um and you know, we tried to give a few based on some of the conversations that we're having, but it's not as concrete as it was. And people say to us, well, you guys are okay, you won HS2. Um, Now, the fact that that's been the only order awarded in the last plus three years, Mm. um, the year before that, so 2019, we did quite well, we won three orders. So we've got a factory that's got, I mean, I mentioned Lumo, so that's been delivered, but we've got West Coast and East Midlands, but... There is a gap in our production between West Coast East Meds and HS2 series production starting. It is a concern.
0: Um, and actually, if we go back to privatisation, we've always seen yes, these, these peaks and troughs. As you know, I'm I'm involved in the rail forum and have been for many years. And that was established yeah. because of the peaks and troughs, because we had such significant periods of time where there were
1: no rolling stock orders placed. We used to call it stop, go and feast and famine and all these it's phraseologies actually. that we used to use. But it, it's with us again now. Yeah. It doesn't just affect Itachi; mm. um, it's right across mm. the supply chain, um, and it is a concern because mm. you know the departments at the moment are having to manage well some very difficult situations out there in the market. You know we've got the industrial relations issue that we're, that, is, that is very prevalent at the moment, but um, I mean, you've also got the operators on short-term contracts mm-hmm. because of emergency measures and recovers that, yeah. that, that we're going through. So. We're trying to get the industry back on its feet at the same time as a supply chain is saying we need to understand where the next orders are coming from. It is a massive challenge for the industry. And I I do feel, you know, in in all my time in the industry since kind of 96, this is probably the single biggest challenge that Mm -hmm. I've seen. You know, you mentioned GBR. You know, we've got an industry transition that we need to do at some point because Mm -hmm. the model that we had for privatisation probably needs some adjustment now.
0: I think um, that's fair. And
1: and that's something else that is probably further down the track, you know, maybe twenty four, mm-hmm. maybe sooner. Um, but all these things are quite closely bunched now and it's you know, we've got some really big issues that we need to work our way yeah. through
0: absolutely you know and then there's the other issues that are out there which aren't just affecting our industry so things like energy prices and yep. you know yep. all, all those and, and people looking at sustainability I mean the one thing that we can say as an industry is that once the trains are up and running yep. it is the most environmentally friendly way mm-hmm. to travel big groups yep. of people yep. um, but, but I think if we go back to the idea of a passenger who's on yep. the train at the moment yep. what what are the biggest challenges for a passenger? I, I know what mine are when I'm traveling, especially for work. Yeah. And how can we, how, how are the trains of the future going to potentially address so, some of those? So,
1: for Itachi, number one consideration, both in design and operation, is reliability of the mm-hmm. train, mm-hmm. number one. Um, we design that into the train yeah. through our design processes. Um, I think if you look at some of the lead tables, that are are published um, in in terms of emptying. I think we had seven of the intercity fleet in the top 10 um, just before the end of last year Um, and we had two of the second generation EMUs in the top three. So our 395s and 385s. Um, So I think reliability Mm -hmm. and exceptional levels, consistently high levels of reliability across the fleet um, almost to the point where the passenger wouldn't notice. Mm-hmm. He would just take it for granted that, you know, the train was going to be there and it would run reliably. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably, we want to continue that trend. Yeah. Reliability very important. I think we're starting now to to get in more conversation about the interior environment, um, seat design, yeah. spacing um, that you've got in the carriages. Yeah. Uh, and... Maybe a, a bit of a switch into understanding the demographics of people who are using rail, mm-hmm. younger families, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's starting to come into the thinking. Um, I think the other point, which again is massive for Itachi, because the digital agenda is is social mobility mm-hmm. and how we use intermodal um, yeah. and the t- the technology that we have. We're doing a very interesting trial in Italy okay. um, at the moment where... Um, We've developed this this app Mm -hmm. that allows you through Bluetooth and artificial intelligence um, and and this app to work out the best journey for me to be using different modes of travel. Now, the trial's going well. Hopefully, we're going to roll that out across Mm -hmm. the the networks around the world. Um, But again, it's putting the passenger at the centre of our thinking because in this environment, and I think post-COVID and even COVID, can't take the passenger for granted anymore Um, they've got other other choices Um, Mm. and rails having to redefine itself a little bit and be more relevant for a different type of passenger that is very switched on digitally Um, and and also that I think is has got a higher standard that perhaps we've seen in the past Um, you know if you look at the kind of the generations below us the younger people um, very impatient, mm-hmm. um, and we'll switch brands just like that. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's something that we're tuned into. They are um, not going to put up with the curly British nope. Rail
0: sandwiches nope. that we may have done. No, nope. in, absolutely. In the past. And actually, when you look at the new contracts that are being put in place for the TOCs, that focus on the um, the passenger experience yep. is really up there. You know, yep. things that. We should, you know, we should perhaps be taken for granted, but things like cleanliness of, yeah. of the loo's and availability yeah. of the buffet and availability of Wi-Fi and, yeah. you know, black spots for phones. I mean, th- the latter are obviously difficult ones, yeah, um, yeah. but but it does show, and I think especially in light of the increase in people using rail for leisure, yeah. as you say, who it is that's actually going on those trains, yeah. it's going to become so much more important.
1: I think it, just before COVID maybe a couple of years before, I think we thought we were in quite a good place. Mm -hmm. We'd seen quite a lot of mortal shift. Um, The the demographics of people that were using the railways had had changed Mm -hmm. um, because the service had improved um, and and the overall capacity had improved. But I think um, I listened to Andrew Haynes speak uh, at the Beasley Lecture in Mm -hmm. October. He gave a fantastic um, history of rail privatisation and why... Mm -hmm. The model that worked once very successfully needs some adjustment now, yeah. as as we as, as we get into the uh, the twenty twenties, and you know, really the the Grant Chaps, uh, Keith Williams review does need to be adopted in in the main mm-hmm. to give us a fighting chance to redefine rail. Um, this, and the, that, yeah. it's about the passenger Keith. Um, I think when he came in to do the review, one of the first conclusions was that. We needed to put the passenger right centre to our thinking as an industry Mm -hmm. and make sure that the service uh, and the products that we were offering had that in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this GBR structure, I think I'm quite excited about that. And I I do desperately hope that it does does come through in legislation at some point in the near future.
0: I think the hope is end of quarter three this year for the legislation, which might mean that we're looking at 2025 for establishment, but... But we will see. And I know the transition team is still doing lots and lots of work yeah. in, in between. So that's all good stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting you say about the intermodal, because I think that that's improved a lot when we look at the fact that we haven't just got TfL, who, you know, we know that the buses and the tubes and the trains work together quite well there and that you can have ticketing systems that that go across all of them. Yeah. You know, you're probably going to see the same happening in Transport for Wales as well. Um but we are a big network and there has to be that conversation and that communication yeah. between different, you know, whether it's buses or whether it's making sure there's suitable cycle hubs and yeah. Yeah. car parking and all those kind of things. Which leads me nicely to, I think we're probably getting to the end because we could obviously sit here and chat about this. We could. All day. <laughs> but picking up on the environmental side of yes. things. Because it, it, it I mentioned it before, it is the most environmentally friendly way yeah. for for us to move People and goods, freight's a different conversation for a different day. Yeah. But stat that I saw this morning: seventy-six lorries taken off the train by uh, off the road. Sorry, by one one freight train. Yeah. But in terms of passengers, you know that that is going to start being a lot more important. And do you think that we, as an industry, are good enough at telling people about the environmental benefits? Mm,
1: it's a good question, that Michelle. I think we certainly do now in our. Uh, mm-hmm sales campaigns, we calculate um, with our electric fleets the number, the, the amount of CO2 mm-hmm. um, in millions of tons that's been displaced. I think rail generally is has got good credentials mm-hmm. overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when you look at the energy sector, they have certainly um, improved. We've got a lot of alternative be- energy sources now, wind, solar. Yep. So I think rail does need to improve. Um, I mean, I've talked about digital with Itachi because that's a central pillar of our strategy. Yeah. The other one is decarbonisation. Mm-hmm. Um, we've taken that very seriously and have done for a number of years, if you look back, Itachi Limited has set its sites quite ambitious targets to reduce CO2 mm-hmm. each year and also with the supply chain. So we we were kind of involved in that way of thinking anyway. <laughs> Um, we're proud sponsors of COP26 yes. uh, last year um, in Scotland, and and I think that brought us into contact with quite a lot of interesting people from mm-hmm. around the world who had some very strong views about DCAB. And we were able to tell them about the three eight five fleet in, in Scotland or, or, or the electric fleet, and most of the people that we spoke to did use that train during the the <laughs> COP26. So that, that was quite that was quite good. But we we've got a number of strategies that we're looking at Mm -hmm. one is battery using lithium-ion cells Um, we've been working with a supplier in the northeast of england Mm -hmm. um, uh, previously called hyperdrive but they've now been acquired by turntide a a major u.s alternative energy uh, technology company Mm -hmm. Um, so we've got a a battery pack design that we're going to utilize and these guys um this was the battery pack that was on the nissan leaf so they've worked right. in automotive and we're looking to bring some of that into rail because mm-hmm. these guys have produced millions and millions of units. So they're, yeah. they're way up the learning curve. So we're, you, we're looking to bring that into rail. We've got a trial that we've announced that we're hoping to finalise uh, on one of the northern okay. uh, operations fairly soon. And our plan is not just to put that onto our onto our new trains, that we design and build but all sorts of retrofits because retrofit. wow. we've got a lot of GUs across our fleet mm-hmm. and the idea is that we'd replace some of those GUs with battery technology mm-hmm. with with no loss in, in performance wow, as well goodness. so so that's one thing um, we're looking at hydrogen I was going
0: to ask if you're looking at hydrogen because that seems to be the so, buzzword at the moment yeah it doesn't. We've,
1: we've looked at hydrogen once before in Japan with JR East in the early yep. early noughties and The results on the trial were quite inconclusive. Uh, We weren't so sure then about additional infrastructure costs, Mm. uh, the storage um, of hydrogen on the train and the space that would take, Mm. Uh, generally the reliability levels um, that we think you may get. But we've, we've announced another trial now with uh, Toyota and JR East okay. to look at hydrogen. Again, we've got a two car that we've retrofitted that's mm-hmm. um, that was doing some tests last year, this year. So we'll be able to look at you know, battery technology and hydrogen with a more informed view across the two technologies. Mm-hmm. We actually think there's potentially a place for both in the market. Um, Agreed. At, at, at this stage. Um, so I think, you, you, you've got to develop the thinking a little bit more and right. get results in the trial. But battery, I mean, we've made offers to the market already okay. for battery technology on vehicles, um, and we'll con- continue mm-hmm. to do so in the future. Um, I think we're expecting that, you know, certainly this year next year, that there'll be things to announce in terms of battery technology onto the railway. Okay. It brings into the debate electrification, because, of course you can displace um, levels of electrification Mm -hmm. if you've got the right battery products and if you've got the right charging devices. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things Itachi did a year or so back is we bought Itachi Energy, it was previously ABB um, power grids. um, And we've now um, integrated them into the organisation and we're starting to talk to customers about rolling stock and battery charging devices with battery. So same conversation, and we can see that um, there are some interesting opportunities there. Um, that's going to avoid significant cost on the
0: well, railway. Well, I was going to say, I mean, one of the reasons that, that electrification has stalled yeah. so many times yeah. has been the cost yeah. and, and, you know, the increase Correct. of cost. And, you know, obviously at the moment, the cost of electricity itself is significant. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, these charging devices, we, we envisage they could fit on a station uh, they could be at the end of the line. Um, they, they could be in a depot. Um, when you look look at the technology now, the operating range of battery has gone out quite considerably to what it was maybe you know 10 years ago, mm-hmm. um, which means you can extend the range. Battery cells themselves are lasting longer as well, Absolutely. so you don't need to replace yeah. them as often. Yeah. Um, we've done a little bit more work about that end cycle so recycling and putting battery back on onto trains and managing that whole whole life cost uh so yeah we think the battery market's quite interesting Mm. um especially for uk because of electrification as you say um and we've got this neat idea to maybe you know package this in a way that you know charging device could be part of the one stock solution
0: so basically the most environmentally friendly way of traveling is going to get even more environmentally friendly. I think that is a perfect yeah. place to stop. So, Nick, it's been an absolute pleasure talking Thank you. to you today. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for Thank that. and speak to you soon. Thank you.